Our uh, reading this morning from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, we're going to explore a little bit of this theme this morning. They could not keep you in their box, and we cannot keep you in ours either. This morning we're going to talk about just how far out of the box God can get as we continue in this series that we've been in for the last month or so on the significance of place. At the beginning of Salman Rushdie's novel, Midnight's Children, he has the narrator try to explain how difficult it is to tell the story of his life. He says, I have been a swallower of lives, and to know me, just the one of me, you'll have to swallow the lot as well. To understand me, you'll have to swallow a world. Each one of us carries with us the stories of so many people, known and unknown. The obvious are parents, teachers, mentors, but but also the unknown, the people whose lives have intersected with ours that maybe we've forgotten about or maybe we never even noticed to begin with. But each person's story becomes part of our story, and together they come together. I believe something similar can be said of Jesus. We come to know him more as we explore the places where his life intersects with others. To know Jesus, to understand Jesus, we have to swallow a world. 
Now, most of what we know about Jesus comes from the stories of his life that are found in Scripture. When we began this series on place, the Israelites were building their faith around the idea of God's presence being localized in a particular promised land and and then eventually in a temple and actually even within that temple in a specific place in that temple behind a curtain, the most holy place. In Jesus, God's presence moved into the neighborhood and he's referred to in scripture as Jesus of Nazareth. He was from an actual place. But as much as Jesus was from Nazareth, he was never satisfied being confined to just one place. He became Jesus of many places, as it turned out. There's this great line when some people are coming around Jesus, and they want to follow after him. And they say, like, oh, we're ready to follow you, Lord. And he responds, he says, foxes have dens, and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's like, I don't have, like, a specific place that I'm from here. This is not going to be, like, an easy and comfortable place for for you. This is not going to be a way of life where you can just kind of settle down. And in many ways, Jesus continues to wander in our world. But how and where? I'd like to read a poem this morning from which I've stolen the title of this morning's message, 10,000 Places. It's from Gerard Manley Hopkins. It's called, As Kingfishers Catch Fire. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring, like each tuck string tells, each hung bells, bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors each one dwells, Selves goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more. The just man justices, keeps grace, that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs, And lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father, through the features of men's faces. The last weekend, I was not here. Uh, I was everywhere else, it seemed. It was one of these crazy summer weekends. Our family, all three of our kids play travel baseball. I was in St. Thomas with Jude. Melissa was in Mississauga with Owen. And Sophie was with someone here in Waterloo. No, she was with her grandparents. It's fine. And we were trying to do this difficult balancing after being in three places at once. But according to, to Hopkins' poem, Christ plays in 10,000 places. Jesus is at work in 10,000 places all at the same time in the actions of each mortal thing, whether kingfishers or dragonflies or men's faces. All kinds of places in this world God is at work. In the last few weeks, I've been getting email updates, as some of you have from Rebecca and Jindy as their family is spending a few months in a discipleship program uh, in Hawaii. And so they send these, these uh, email updates with these beautiful pictures of waterfalls and giant fish and, and all you know, the sacrifices they're making in Hawaii. Actually, one week, one, uh, one week I responded to her and I sent her some beautiful pictures of my own. I'm like, you're not the only one surrounded by beauty this week. In Christ, all things were created. All things. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And I love what Carlo Corretto 
says, and, and think about this, whether we're talking about these images from Hawaii or whether we're talking about the beautiful morning that we all walked out into this morning. He writes that creation is like a message written on things, a story told in symbol, a source of conversation for our souls. Not to look at nature, not to love it to the full, is to refuse to read a document God has specifically composed for us in love. And when I was at this hotel last weekend, um, Jude and, and the rest of his teammates were running around the hotel. They were those kids, uh, if you've ever stayed in a hotel. Uh, anyways, and I decided to take a few minutes to myself before heading up to the party room where all the parents hang out. That's the way we roll. And uh, I decided to just take a few minutes of quiet to myself, so I laid out on the bed and I was reading a book. And all of a sudden, like, nine or ten kids burst into the room, led by Jude, and they're, like, all around me in our hotel room. And I'm like, what's going on? And one of them says are you reading a book? I said, yes. He says, an actual book? I'm thinking, how strange is this? Like, like, this is a kind of normal thing. I'm like, yeah, an actual book. He's like, man, I couldn't even read a picture book. And that was it. Out of the halls to terrorize the rest of the hotel. Wow. Christ plays in 10,000 places. And yet how many times do we walk right by? We don't read the messages that God has put in the world all around us. It's a beautiful world that we live in. An amazing creation that God has given to us. Really incredible sometimes, more than others. I was checking out the weather for this weekend and I, and I saw like a miraculous forecast in the weather. Here's a, a screenshot. Tonight, partly sunny overnight. You can't make this stuff up. The weather network, partly sunny overnight. I was like, I've got to stay up. I have to see this. How will it be partly sunny overnight? I've never heard of such a thing. But even without the suspension of the laws of nature, nature is still amazing, still an amazing creation. And so as the psalmist is writing, it's like, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Everywhere around us is is in some way praising God just by doing what it does by being what it was created to be. That's hard for us to see that sometimes, though. G.K. Chesterton was reflecting, and he said, you know, there's, there's like two kinds of people, two ways of seeing the world. He said, there's, there's a way of seeing the world that you look at a tree moving, and you say, look at the way that the wind is making the branches of that tree move. And he said, and there's another way of looking at the world where you say, look at the way that the The movement of that tree is creating wind. And he says, I'm afraid that that's the way that our our world is going, where people are are looking at, at the things that are right in front of them and saying, well, this is what matters. This is what's creating action. This is what's making change here and ignoring the invisible and the unseen. And I think sometimes we're, we're drawn into these thin places where we, we find it hard to explain even what is right in front of us. We find it hard to say that there's not something deeper or something behind what's in front of us. It happens with good art. We see some good art. It happens when we listen to to good music. It happens when we we watch dance. I was watching this this new show, to me anyways, World of Dance last week, and there's a 16-year-old, and he gets up on this stage, and, and he performs this thing, and I'm like, there is something more happening than a body moving across a stage. There's, there's a revelation here somehow of, of something that's, that's human, that's, that's deeply 
personal, at the core of who we are. And I don't know how to explain it, but there's something moving this body. That's how I see this. And I think when we listen to that song or we, or we see that work of art or we watch someone dance, there's, there's something about these thin places where we question, is there something behind this? Why do I respond the way I'm responding? Why do I feel the way that I feel? Is it maybe just more than a tree moving? Catherine of Siena, 14th century Catholic theologian, wrote that all the way to heaven is heaven. All the way to heaven. It's not a, just a place that we long for, but, but all the way there are these signs and these symbols and these reminders. As the psalmist wrote, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, you fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children. See, this imagined chorus of creation finally makes its way down to the likes of us, young men and women, old men and children. Somehow, singing praise to God in what we do, the same way that the the storms and the beautiful creation and the depths of the ocean sing praise to God. When I read that last piece, I couldn't help but think about a passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago from Acts chapter 2, where Peter stands up to the crowd, and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in, these, in those days, and they will prophesy. See, it's not just the, the creation that messages are written on, but it's also us, all people. We participate in Christ's story as we receive his spirit and are used by him to speak and enact a message of life to the world that he has created, to prophesy. Miroslav Wolf says that's what we at the center are all about promoting the practice of Christian faith in all spheres of life so that what is broken in our individual lives and cultures can be mended and we can all flourish as God's creatures. The beauty and the mystery of this is that we do this not in some abstract way, but in all of the 10,000 specific and uninspiring places that we find ourselves from dawn until dusk. All things have been created through him and for him, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. So Rebecca sends these, these pictures from Hawaii, and she brags about these wonderful things that, that they're doing, but then she also says this. This is what she said in her email. I do have to say that I'm missing the mundane and day-to-day life of home routines in Ontario. Don't underestimate the beauty of everyday life. It's such a treasure. See, Hawaii isn't our life, but Ontario is our life. Colossians 1.17 goes on to say that in him, in Christ, all things hold together. Well, what does this mean? How is Christ holding together this fragmented world of ours? Well, two stories from our family this past week. Jude comes home from school. Jude is uh, in grade seven, and he, was, he takes a bus home from school, and he tells a story of being on the bus, and one of his classmates was being bullied, like physically, like 
physically like pushed around on the bus. This is what's going on. Bus driver's like doing his thing and, and people are being pushed around on the back of the bus and Jude tells us he stood up and he walked back and he like gets in between them and he pushes this bully back and he's like, what are you doing? Get away. That was story number one. Story number two, Owen, who, who is no longer an employee of Zares. I just want to celebrate with him this morning. I know he's excited about this. Um, he's uh, finished up that phase of his life. I don't, know, I don't know why you're clapping. Maybe it's a good thing. But um, he's, he's putting away eggs. He's putting eggs away, stacking eggs, and he hears someone screaming, someone like screaming in terror. And he's like, what's going on? And he looks down the aisle to the meat section, and he sees, he sees a, a guy around his age, but, but bigger than him, with his hand on a woman's head, punching her in the face repeatedly. And she is screaming and howling, and he's punching her in the face. And Owen's like, so he like sets down the eggs carefully, not to break them. And like beelines across the grocery store, and he's like yelling, and he's yelling at this guy to stop, and yelling at him to get out, and the, and the guy kind of lets go of the woman and, and takes off down the aisle. And he comes up to this woman, what's going on? Are you okay? And blood and, and hair kind of coming out in clumps, and, and she's like, you know, in a total mess. And as it turns out, this was actually her son, and he was autistic, and he was just reacting, and she's like, just, just, just don't hurt, just leave him alone. It's okay, I'll take care of it, I'll take care of it in the midst of this. And Owen's telling me this story, and, and he's saying that, like, in that, the brief few, few seconds between the, the egg section and the meat section as he's running, he's thinking, this guy's bigger than me. Like, how's this going to work? Like, how, what's going to happen when I get there? And he was saying, like, I'm tall, so I've got, like, long arms, and maybe I'll just, like, kind of, like, go crazy, and he just won't be able to know what's happening. And in that, like, three-second dash there, trying to figure out what's going on. Why does someone walk to the back of a bus and, and push a bully aside? What does someone, why does someone run across a grocery store yelling for someone to let go of someone who's being accosted? Because the just man justices. Acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places. When someone does this, and these, I mean, these are just a couple of stories, and this happens all the time. We do things because it's who we are. It's who we're created to be. It's why we rush into danger. It's why we don't back down. It's why we, we give and we sacrifice, because it's who we're created to be. We're just doing what we're created to be. Kingfishers catch fire. Dragonflies catch flame. Like stones make a sound when you throw them in a well. I mean, just people enact justice. We do what we're created to do. This is the most difficult and at the same time most important thing, writes Eugene Peterson, to embrace in the Christian life. That we become willing participants, not only in what God does, but in the way he does it. Now here's where things get really good. Christ is at play in the world as he empowers us to speak and act in a prophetic way. But he's also at play in the very places where speech and action is needed the most, calling to us inviting us, sometimes quite literally begging us to love him well. So Jesus tells this story. He says, well, the Son of Man's going to come in his glory. He's imagining this, this day, and he said it's going to be like a king who separates his subjects, like a shepherd would separate, separate sheep from goats. you got this big herd, and he's like, okay, i got to get the goats on one side and the sheep on one side. And he says it's going to go like this. He said the, the king's going to say to, to some of them, he's going to say, all right, you guys, you get to come into the banquet. I've got a big party I'm throwing for you because I was hungry, and you came and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I was in need, and you stepped up. You met my need. I was sick. I was in prison, and you came, and you visited me. Well, listen to the response of the, of the crowd here. They, they're kind of surprised by this. The, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The just man justices. What I do is me. For that I came. The people didn't even notice. They didn't even notice that they've been serving the king because they just did what they do. You feed someone when they're hungry. You visit someone when they're in prison. These are the things you just do. They didn't even notice that they were doing it. Well, but that's just being a decent person, you say. What does this have to do with Jesus? That's just a tree moving. That's just a body dancing. But what if Jesus doesn't care who gets the credit? What if he doesn't care if people connect the dots or not? What if he doesn't care if people say, well, that's just being a decent person, instead of saying that it's him at work in the world? What if he doesn't care about these things? What if the thing that matters the most to him is that the hungry are fed and the sick are cared for and that strangers are let in? What if he'd rather have someone stand up to a bully on a bus than have someone worship him in a church? This isn't a new idea. Irenaeus, a pastor living and writing in the second century, said the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Now, not everyone lives out of who Christ has created them to be. Not all of us do. At least not all of the time, and maybe not even all that much of the time, if we're honest. The parable doesn't stop there. Unfortunately, there's part two. Second group of people, king says, get out of here. You're going to go to like a pretty bad place. Because, you see, I was hungry, and you didn't give me anything to eat. And I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I had needs, and you didn't provide for them. I was sick. I was in prison. You never came to visit me once. And their response is the same. When did we see you hungry? The same response. But not because they were living out of who they were created to be and they just lived that way, but because they were ignorant of the world around them. If we can imagine Jesus in the grocery store hero, can we learn to see him in the victim of violence calling out to us and even in the brokenness of the perpetrator himself? Remember, the king said, I was in prison. You came to visit me. Jesus is in the person who's done the violence as well. Al Richard Rohr says, God is saving the world, and God goes on working even though we fail to notice, fail to enjoy, fail to pass on, and, well, fail to fully live our one and only life. A reading from Colossians wrapped up with this phrase, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood 
shed on the cross. Jesus, both the victim of violence and the victor over violence. Far from stuck in a box in the corner, he is perpetual good news for a broken world. I think we do Jesus a serious disservice when we imagine that he could ever be kept in our boxes. So as the song we heard earlier pledged, we will find you in the streets, we will find you in the prisons, and even in our Bibles and churches. So here's where I want us to kind of leave with today. Some thoughts by Craig Dykstra and Dorothy Bass. They say that when we see some of our ordinary activities as Christian practices, we come to perceive how our daily lives are all tangled up with the things God is doing in the world. Now we want to figure out how to pattern our practices after God's, and it becomes our deepest hope to become partners in God's reconciling love for the world. Our deepest hope. Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. Lovely in our limbs, lovely in our eyes, lovely in the features of our faces. I invite you to stand. Lord, when we gathered this morning, we prayed, forgive us for the ways that we put other things before you this week. God, it seems like most weeks we put most things before you. We fail to notice just how much you are doing in this world around us, the opportunities there in front of us every single day to be who we were created to be, to just live that out. And so, God, we ask for that forgiveness for that, and we ask that you would, your spirit would bring life to us so that we would have eyes to see and, and ears to hear as we make our way through the world during the course of the week. Help us to see where you are at play and help us to be part of that drama. Empower us by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.